This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. It's February, and that means it's Black History Month. And this month, we're going to be doing a lot of exciting programs and exciting shows. So make sure you stay tuned for the whole series. I've got special guests. We're also going to be talking about historical people, some from the remote past and some more contemporary. This week, I'm talking about two iconic legends who are more contemporary. I'll be talking about Sidney Poitier and also Cicely Tyson. Today, I'll be focused on Sidney Poitier. And in the very next episode, we'll talk about Cicely Tyson. Both icons in the film industry, their lives spanned almost 100 years each. So that means they're very special people. So let's talk first about Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier was an actor who was known for his elegance. He was known for his style and his class and the way that he came across in film and on the stage. He really represented African-American people, Black people, in a very profound way. He was an icon and a true role model. Sidney Poitier was the son of Bahamian parents. He was born in Miami, Florida, on the 20th of February, 1927. He died on the 6th of January in 2022 in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. His parents were tomato farmers, and they traveled back and forth from the Bahamas, where he was from, to Miami to do seasonal work and to go back and forth. And it just so happens that he was born two months early in advance in Miami. He grew up, however, in the Bahamas, and he didn't really come back to the United States until he was 15 years old. One of the things that he was most known for was that he was the first Black actor and the first Bahamian to win an Academy Award for Best Actor. And he won that award in 1963 for the film Lilies of the Field. And Lilies of the Field was a film about a man who was an itinerant laborer, and he helped a group of nuns to build a chapel. And as a result of that film, that's when he got the Oscar for Best Actor. Sidney Poitier was married twice. His last wife, Joanna Shimkus, he was married to her from 1976 to 2022. And his prior wife, Juanita Hardy, from 1950 to 1965. He's the father of five daughters, two of the daughters with Joanna and three of the daughters with his first wife, Juanita. And one of the daughters in the first set, Gina, died in 2018. He had a long and illustrious career, and when he died in January, he was 94 years old. His last 
TV acting role was in 2001, and it was called The Last Brickmaker. And his last Hollywood film was in 1997, The Jackal with Richard Gere. In reflections about Sidney Poitier, Dionne Warwick was talking to Stephen Colbert on his night show, and she was remembering the first time that she had actually seen and met Sidney Poitier in person. She was with her group of musicians. They were coming down the street in New York City, and it was right around 54th, 53rd Street and Broadway in about 1965. She said as she was coming out with her musicians, this elegant, tall, and handsome Black man was walking in front of them. And she said she broke ranks with her crew and she started following him. She said she was stalking Sidney Poitier is the way that she describes it. And she goes about a block and she says on that street, there were no shops. There was nothing to indicate why she was on this road and possibly walking behind him. And she ended up even running into him. So he turns around and he says to her, hello, little girl. And he says to her, what do you want? (laughs) She says, well, I'd like to have your autograph. So he gives her his autograph. And Dion Wilbrick says over the years, he never greeted her as Dion and said, hello, Dion. He would always say, hello, little girl, you want my autograph? And that became kind of a joke between them over the years. And that was a reflection and a memory that she had about Sidney Poitier. If we go way, way back in his career, his first notable role was a Broadway debut in about 1946. And it was Lysistrata, which was the show that he was in. His first feature film was in about 1950, and it was called No Way Out. And this was about a doctor who was treating a racist patient. And one of the things that you will discover if you don't already know about many of the roles that Sidney Poitier was portrayed in, they had themes that were relevant for civil rights, themes that were relevant for justice, themes that were relevant for the issues of the day. And often those films would be pushing boundaries or pushing the envelope to really have people embrace thoughts and ideas that they may not have been practicing broadly in society at the time. He also starred in a film called A Patch of Blue. And in this movie, he had a romance, a chaste romance, no hugging, kissing, touching or anything with a blind woman who happened to be a white woman. And of course, that would have been unusual for the time. I particularly remember the British drama that he did in 1967 to serve with love. And here he is a teacher and he's got to win over acceptance from these unruly students. And at some point he wants to just throw up his hands and say, I've tried everything. I don't know what else to do to get their attention. However, he is successful. He does turn things around. And just notice even that name, to serve with love. One of the things that Sidney Poitier was keen on is making sure that the characters that he played were characters that could be respected. And if you listen even to that song, the theme that goes with it, to serve with love, you find this female student giving him his props as the person that he really is and outlining what it is that she's learned, you know, from him during that time. Another movie that he 
starred in was In the Heat of the Night. He was playing a Philadelphia detective. He was down in Mississippi where he was taken into custody by a police officer down there who was quite bigoted and who wanted to arrest him as someone who might have potentially committed a crime. Long story short, he in- agrees to help this police officer down there find out who really did commit the crime. And so in that movie, he's known for an iconic phrase because his character is Virgil Tibbs. And when he's addressed in a way that's less than polite, he's asked, well, what do they call you up there? Like up there where he's from, which is Philadelphia. He said, they call me Mr. Tibbs. And that became a famous line that he was known for. Also in that particular movie, which is set in Mississippi, There's a time in the movie where he's slapped by a racist plantation owner, and he did not want to leave the scene just with him being slapped by the racist plantation owner. So he said that he needed to slap the plantation owner back, and they agreed to that, but to make sure that it happened, it was written into his contract that that part of the scene where he slaps him back had to stay in. They couldn't remove it. It was in his contract. That's how dedicated he was to making sure that the right messages were there. He did not want to play a role where a Black man was being disrespected and did not have a chance to also respond back in some way. And then later on, he also did a movie that also was one of my favorites was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And in this movie, he played a doctor he had a white fiance and he's meeting with her parents. He's there for dinner to convince them that he is an appropriate person to marry their daughter. And of course, at that time, this was out of the box thinking of an interracial relationship and particularly a potential interracial marriage. And they deal with those issues and he's talking to the parents and really trying to make the case. So both Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and also To Serve with Love are just movies, at least from my lifetime, I remember so clearly and seeing Sidney Poitier as representing possibilities that weren't possibilities that occurred every day in life for people who were Black at that time. And just thinking that he got the Academy Award in 1963, it would be many, many years all the way up to 2002 before the next Black actor got the Academy Award for Best Actor, and that would be Denzel Washington for Training Day. So that was a long, long time in between. Now, Sidney Poitier racked up so many honors in his very long and illustrious career. I won't name probably, you know, all of them, but a number of them I will mention. In 1995, he got the Kennedy Center Award In 2009, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He also received two Golden Globe Awards, and in 1982, the Lifetime Achievement Honor. In 2000, he received a Grammy for his own narration of his autobiography. His autobiography was called The Measure of a Man, a Spiritual Autobiography. And then in 2000, he got an honorary Oscar for the remarkable accomplishments as an actor and as a human being. 
finally just acknowledging all of his contributions over many decades, over many, many years in the industry. Once he retired out of the film industry, he was busy playing golf and he was busy writing books. And in 2008, one of the books that he wrote was Life Beyond Measure, Letters to My Great-Granddaughter. And in 2013, he even wrote a novel, Montaro Kane was the name of that. And in addition to films, in addition to book writing, he had a stint in there, a season from 1997 to 2007, where he served as the Bahamas ambassador to Japan. He, in essence, was Hollywood's first Black movie star. And he was known for that elegant bearing. I mentioned his principled characters. He was showing possibilities that Black actors could be cast as doctors. They could be cast as teachers, as detectives, as positive role models in society. Later in a conversation with Oprah Winfrey in 2000, he talked about the enormous responsibility that he had in his role and being so visible and how he took that responsibility seriously in terms of what he would accept and choose to do and what he chose not to do. And he knew that what he did would impact those people who came behind them and also impact the opportunities that they either would have or wouldn't have. If we dial back to his early life, Sidney Poitier was the youngest of seven children. He was born, as I said, a couple of months premature. They weren't even sure that he was going to make it and that he was going to live. He was so small that he fit just in the father's palm of his hand. And when he was that little, his mother was worried about whether he would survive and what would happen to him. She consulted actually a palm reader at the time who said to her that, no, your son is going to live and he will be in the presence of kings. So that was something that she could take away with her and that she treasured in her heart. Not that I advocate going to palm readers because I certainly don't. However, she did mention this, I'll call it pronouncement over his life. When he was 15 years old, his father thought that he would have better opportunities in the United States than in the Bahamas. So he took him down to the docks to put him on a ship. He gave him $3 and he sent him to Miami to live with one of his older brothers for better opportunities. And when he was standing there on the docks, he turned Sidney Poitier around, had him face the ships. In other words, your life is now ahead of you. It's in front of you and everything here is behind you. And then he put him on the ship. Now, when Sidney Poitier got to Miami, he discovered he really didn't care for Miami. He didn't like it. And he decided that he would migrate up to New York City. So he went up to New York City and he was interested in acting at the time. Not that he had any background in acting, but it was something he thought he wanted to do. And so he approached Troop and Acting Theater. He went there. And when he started to read the script, he really couldn't read. He couldn't read very well. He didn't have a strong command of the English language, and he certainly hadn't been trained in acting. And in addition, he was tone deaf, so he couldn't sing. And so he was shown the door and summarily kicked out. And they said, you're no actor at all. And so that instead of making that the end of his dream, he decided, okay, he would get a job as a restaurant dishwasher, which he did. And there was an older waiter in that restaurant 
who looked at him and said, you know, there might be potential in this young man. So when the restaurant closed every night, every night he worked with him, he taught him English, he taught him grammar, he taught him how to read, how to speak. And Sidney Poitier worked on his Bahamian accent to reduce it enough that he could go mainstream in terms of the world of acting and speaking. So later on, when he next approached the American Negro Theater, by this time he had taken some lessons, he had softened his accent, and he landed a stage role as the understudy to Harry Belafonte. And he and Harry Belafonte would ultimately become very good friends and very good colleagues over the years. So his career included these Broadway productions that he ultimately did. It included Hollywood, and later it also included some work on television as well. As I said earlier, one of the hallmarks of his career is he refused to accept any demeaning roles. Any roles that he thought were inconsistent with his values or reflected badly on himself, his family, or the race of Black people. He thought back to his parents. He thought of their expectations and how they raised him. He thought about his father, who he loved, revered, and respected, and he always wanted to do things that would bring credit on his parents and on Black people as well. He went on to play in some iconic roles where one was called Cry the Beloved Country, and he was playing uh, Reverend in an apartheid drama. Blackboard Jungle, he played a troubled student, and he played in Defiant Ones in 1958, where he was an escaped prisoner. He was with Tony Curtis in that movie. And in that movie, he was the first Black man to be nominated for an Oscar. He didn't get the Oscar for that movie, but he was nominated for his role in Defiant Ones with actor Tony Curtis. Later on, he turned down a role where he was asked to be a janitor. And in this role as a janitor, there were some thugs who had come and killed the janitor's daughter, had thrown the daughter's body on the front yard. However, in his character, he was supposed to not do anything about it and not have any response. And he said, there's no way that he could portray that role. He couldn't do that with integrity to see his supposed daughter thrown on the lawn and to have no appropriate response. Even though at that time, the job was paying $750 a week, which was a lot, and he was struggling, he would not sell out and play that role. And his agent at the time said, well, it's not anything really negative about Black people. Why are you having an issue? And his agent never understood it. However, Sidney Poitier was very clear it was not a role that he wanted to play or that he could play, and therefore he didn't. In 1959, he was also in the first Broadway production of A Raisin in the Sun, and later he also starred in the movie version a couple of years later. 
Because of the influence of his friend, Harry Belafonte, he also got more actively involved in the civil rights movement, and he went to the March on Washington in 1963. In 1964, he also went to Mississippi in the aftermath when the civil rights activists, three of them had been slain and killed down in Mississippi. And later on, when he would be interviewed, he would say, oh, yes, clearly racism was horrendous in his day. It was certainly a factor, an aspect of his everyday life. Yet he chose not to allow racism or the race issues to completely define his life. And he didn't want to just be interviewed on the basis of issues pertaining to race. And by the way, I should mention, when you think about civil rights and you think about changes in society, when Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was released, it was released only six months after the Supreme Court had made a law in all 50 states that interracial marriages were illegal. Prior to that time, interracial marriage was illegal in many places. So that was as late as 1967. Now, even though Sidney Poitier engaged in a lot of groundbreaking work and activities as an actor and as an activist, there were still people who criticized him. And one such person was the Black playwright Clifford Mason, who in 1967, in a New York Times column, he said about Sidney Poitier, he says, oh, he's just always playing a good guy in a white world where he doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have a sweetheart, he doesn't have a woman to love or to kiss, and he's just a black man in a white world helping the white man to solve the white man's problems. Sidney Poitier was extremely upset about that. In fact, he was so upset that he returned to the Bahamas for a few months just to recover from it. And I think what people really don't understand is that for the time in which he lived, what he did was groundbreaking and definitely did not deserve the criticism that he received. Had he attempted to do some things even more groundbreaking before their time, we might not even know his name. We may not even have heard of him because he probably would have been stopped in his tracks and not been allowed to carry on as he did. But because he took advantage of those opportunities, walked in integrity with the opportunities that he had, we know his name today and will for a long time. And I remember him from my childhood, from my teenage years, and for really all of my life, as he is a lot older than me. Later in his career, he decided that he would also go into directing so that he could have a little more control over his projects. So one of his projects was Buck and the Preacher that featured his friend, Harry Belafonte. He also did Uptown Saturday Night featuring Bill Cosby, Let's Do It Again, A Piece of the Action. And those two films featured a lot of Black actors in them. So he was able to resource them with additional people that otherwise might not have been in those films and to showcase the talents of others. He also, in 1980, directed Stir Crazy, which was one of his biggest hits, and this was a prison break comedy featuring Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. 
I remember that movie. It was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. So if you haven't seen it, you can go back in the archives and pull Stir Crazy up and take a look at it. Later on in his career, he also did some films. He did the 1988 Shoot to Kill with Tom Berenger, 1992 Sneakers with Bruce Willis, and then, of course, that last one on Hollywood side, The Jackal with Richard Gere. On the TV side, he was nominated for Emmys for portraying Justice Thurgood Marshall, and that was in a miniseries. He also portrayed South African leader Nelson Mandela in another miniseries, and he was nominated for Emmys in both of those cases. In 2001, as I mentioned, he got the Honorary Academy Award for his overall achievements. And in 2002, when Denzel Washington accepted his Oscar for Best Actor for Training Day, Denzel Washington said, I've been watching you and following you for 40 years. And he says, I'll always be chasing you, Sydney, and following in your footsteps. 2009, it was President Obama who awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And in 2011, he received the Film Society of Lincoln Center's highest award. One of the stories that really touched me about Sidney Poitier is the story that Jamie Foxx tells. In Jamie Foxx's life, around about the time that he was about to get all kinds of awards for his portrayal of Ray Charles in the movie Ray, and in fact, Jamie Foxx went on to get the Best Actor Award in 2005. He got Golden Globe Best Actor, the British Academy Film and TV Awards. He got Best Actor, and he also received an NAACP Image Award for his role in Ray. However, Jamie Foxx was in that generation and in that time and genre and way of operating where he wasn't taking his role as seriously as he needed to meaning he was out there partying and living it up and not really thinking about what was the meaning of this opportunity that was in front of him. So the iconic Black leaders of the day were watching him and they were concerned that he was going to implode. So Oprah Winfrey got together a whole big, huge houseful and group of people to meet with Jamie Foxx. Now, Jamie Foxx did not know what he was walking into. She invited him to come over, but she didn't tell him what for or who was going to be there. And when Jamie Foxx walked into the room, all of the icons of the film industry, of the media world were present, of the Black community. And included in that group was Sidney Poitier. And when Oprah called Jamie Foxx on the phone, he was shocked to hear Oprah when she was calling him to begin with. And if you know Jamie Foxx, you know that he imitates people and he imitates them very well. And he was imitating Oprah and he said, she called him on the phone and said, Jamie Foxx. And he said, yeah, this is Oprah. And he was kind of thinking, maybe this is a joke. This is really Oprah. <laughs> and she invites him to this event. And when he walks in and he sees Sidney Poitier, all of these people assembled, you know, he was, you know, taken aback and he was humbled. But they called him there because it was time to have a little talk with him about the fact that this was not just about him. He couldn't be out there partying all night, messing up and possibly making things hard 
for the next generation of people coming behind him. And what it reminded me of is in a lot of African traditions, when you take on a leadership role in Africa, especially if you're taking on a chief's role, you're dressed first in these really humble clothes before they put on the kingly garments that you will be wearing in this role. And they have you sit down in a chair and they say, sit down in humility. Then they have you stand up and they say, stand up in responsibility. This is what the Black community was doing. They were circling around him and reminding him of his responsibility since he had this opportunity to rise to this level and to have this platform in his life. And of course, Jamie Foxx, this is an event and an incident in his life, which is memorable and which he will never forget. And it changed his life. And he said, he straightened up and he started flying right after all of these icons in the room spoke to him and spoke words of wisdom and reminded him of who he was and who he represented. So you might be wondering, as we're covering all of this, what does this have to do with you as a Christian executive business leader? Let me say it has a lot to do with you and with the opportunity that you have as well. So let me just break down a few points that I want to leave you with and want to share from Sydney Poitier's life that are relevant for us as business leaders today. Number one, Sydney Poitier had to be willing to leave his comfort zone. He was in the Bahamas, his home, where he was comfortable. He had to go to the docks. His father had to face him forward to a new world. And he had to leave behind what he had known all of his life. He had to leave the comfort zone in order to walk into his next steps. Number two, you have to also have a vision for yourself. Where you start is not necessarily where you're going to end up. The vision may even be beyond you beyond where you are now, beyond the skill sets that you have, beyond what you even think that you can do. And what you have to remember is that God is greater than where you are now, greater than you. So in Sidney Portier's life, he left the Bahamas, he left Miami, he goes to New York, When he gets to New York, he wasn't ready for acting yet. He gets thrown out. However, number three then, knowing that vision of acting is still in his mind, he puts in the work. He builds his skills because, you know, those skills and abilities are what you need to also build your destiny. So he worked hard all day in his dishwashing job and at night, He took his English lessons, learned to read, and he figured it out. And I also want to share that though he learned English very, very well and became quite articulate, an excellent speaker and role model in the English language, and a wonderful actor using his English skills, he wasn't perfect, and you don't have to be perfect, meaning He always remained tone deaf and never actually could sing. So even in his Oscar-winning performance in Lilies of the Field, and at the end, you see him singing this beautiful 
rendition of Amen. He's lip syncing that. Someone else is singing because he still wasn't able to sing. However, he does it in such a way that is very compelling. So he did what he could do. He did that well. And he had other team members fill in the gaps where he did not have the talent and the ability. And in your organization and in your world, the same thing is true. You'll build your skills. You're going to build your abilities so you can fulfill your destiny. And you'll bring team members around you to fulfill and fill in the parts that you by yourself cannot do. Sydney Poitier A also chose to live by a certain set of very high values and ideals. And you as a marketplace ministry leader will also choose to live by your God-given values. Everything out there is not for you to go after. You want to refuse the demeaning roles in the kind of business that you are in. You want to live by principles and run and lead your organization according to those principles. It's not a world where everything goes. Everything doesn't go for you as a ministry marketplace leader who is accountable to God, who's placed you in this position of responsibility because he has entrusted you to live out that role in a way that is trustworthy and honoring of God. And number five, remember, you represent more than yourself. In Sidney Poitier's case, he remembered that he represented the legacy of his ancestors before him, his parents, specifically his father. And think about all the ancestors even before them upon whose shoulders he was standing in his opportunities and roles. He also recognized that he was a role model for the people who were living at the time, and he was going to be a stepping stone for the next generation. The same thing is true for you as a ministry marketplace leader. You are a role model for members of your organization who may not even know that a Christian person can rise to the role of CEO where you are right now in a secular organization, a major Fortune 100 or 500 company. You don't know the way in which you are carving a pathway for that next person who's watching you and who's seeing how you handle yourself. And you want to be a person who's acting with dignity, just like Sidney Poitier when he says, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Number six, you want to use your platform for the greater good. In Sidney Poitier's case, that meant being somewhat of a civil rights activist. And it also meant that even through his artistic works, there were messages for his day and time, messages about what's possible for Black people, what's possible for all people. He made a very conscious choice not to participate in what was called the black exploitation films of the day, where you had major black actors serving as pimps and drug addicts and drug dealers and criminals and so on and so forth. He did not participate in that. So when you think about your platform in your company, what is the good that you stand for? Where can you leverage that good for other purposes, even beyond just the company itself? And then number seven, Sidney Poitier recognized 
that he was there to build the next generations, to pass the baton, to show up for the Jamie Foxes of the world, to show up for the Denzel Washingtons of the world who had been watching him for all of those years, to do that sitting down in humility and rising up in responsibility. You don't know who it is that you are developing for this next generation. So just like that elderly waiter in the New York restaurant took his time to develop Sidney Poitier when Sidney Poitier was a dishwasher in the restaurant, you, as your role CEO in your organization, you are developing the future leaders. You are developing those people who, in their success, may greatly surpass you, and yet you're there to build into them, to deposit into them, to pass the baton to them. Your legacy is what you pass on and deposit into other people. And you want to stay the course, even in the face of criticism. People who are doing great work are always going to be criticized. Sidney Poitier was criticized. I gave you an example of that. You will be criticized. People won't always understand your choices. They will think that you should do more. However, what you should do is what God calls you to do in your time and in your place and for the era in which you live. So I want to just say Sidney Poitier, even though he has left us on the earth plane this year, Sidney Poitier, you've left a great and lasting legacy. You have role modeled a way to live that we all can learn something from that enriches our lives, not just for business, but for life itself. And I want to end this segment sharing a verse that relates to what was said over him when he was a baby and it wasn't clear he was going to live. This comes from Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.